Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. I'm Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard. As always, I'm your host. And welcome back for another week. I don't have too much for you other than a quick programming note. Uh, we're going to take two weeks at the end of the year off. So we've got this episode and one more and then two weeks, I think. I, I, dates are rough. Whatever works out to the last two weeks of the year, that's what we're going to be taking off so that we can bring you some fresh new stuff in the beginning of the year. But in the meantime, you know, follow me, follow the pod on all of the social media um, at LTPF on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Um, And I am at Bobby Sue on Twitter. And my Instagram is at Bobby Sue D.H. like Doyle Hazard. I have a great interview for you today with Jacqueline Miller. She's the Director of Marketing and Communications at Up To Us Sports. Up To Us Sports is a really cool organization, um, and she explains it far better than I'm going to. But basically, they provide training for coaches that work some of these like after-school programs, and the training is trauma-based. So when um, these coaches go into kind of um, rough um, communities, um, communities where children have typically experienced a lot of hardship, that trauma-based training helps the coach to better understand what's going on with the kids and also to build that trust um, so that these children have a safe place to go to and a safe person to talk to. It's really awesome. Jacqueline is herself pretty awesome. Um, She is the first person from Trinity Western University to graduate with a Bachelor of Arts in Sport and Leisure Management. I think it's called Sport Management, she said now. And that's because she helped create the program while she was in school, which is insane. Um, She has worked for some incredible organizations, um, including my own alma mater. We missed each other by about a year or two or three, I can't remember. And then um, she went down to URI with um, someone that I used to work for, Thor Bjorn. And she's also worked at the Women's Sports Foundation. On top of all of that, she is very active in her community. Um, she's been on the board of directors for the New York City Gay Basketball League and is now a board member of Athlete Ally, both awesome organizations. Um, so I had a lot of fun with this. I hope you enjoy it. And here is the interview with Jacqueline Miller. Hey, Jacqueline. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. And yourself? Oh, I'm just great. It's, Excellent. <laughs> it's been a good start to the week. Um, Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Of course. When... Um, are, uh, when I was introduced to you, I was very excited because you have worked at one of the organizations that I keep looking at being like, I need to interview somebody from there. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, the Women's Sports Foundation. Yes. Well, I know many people. Well, I shouldn't say many. I know they've gone over the years since I worked there. Um, there's been some transitions, but I do know people there. So yeah. I can easily I can definitely put you in touch with some people. So Fabulous. no problem. We're, yes. big, we're big connectors here at the at the pod. Uh, amazing. Um, so how did you fall in love with sports? 
Oh, how did I fall in love with sports? I, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know exactly when I fell in love. I remember, um, when I was eight, I, um, was in Girl Scouts and I hated it and I thought it was so boring and I didn't want to sit around and talk about just like being a girl. So I told my parents I wanted to, to quit and join softball. I don't know why I got it in my head, but so I left, I quit Girl Scouts. I started softball, Little League in town, and I never looked back. I fell in love with the sport, um, which dovetailed into playing other sports. And before I knew it, I was playing three or four sports at a time. And just, I was so happy. I think I was a little bit shy as a kid and it really helped me come out of my shell. I made some of my closest friends still to this day. Um, I, I am in touch with some friends that I made from playing softball when I was eight. So, um, I think there's tons of different ways that I think, um, sport has affected me. And, and, and so I don't know there, I can't recollect at the exact moment, but I think just all of my experiences playing sports from a young age just okay. made me fall, fall in love with, with sport. Um, it's funny that you didn't like Girl Scouts. Yeah, I was not a fan. Um, I don't, I don't know if it was just my little group that I was in. It was like my friend's mom and we would just go to her house and sit around and like paint our nails and just like not really do anything. And so that wasn't really, I, yeah. that wasn't really for me. Um, I don't really feel like that's the experience that is intended. Right. Um, I've had, um, the CEO of the local council in Tampa mm -hmm. or in West central Florida, um, on the podcast. And, and it's funny because, uh, I feel like they do so, so much now. Um, mm -hmm. so it's always interesting because I was really jealous that I wasn't able to join Girl Scouts. Oh. Uh, my parents just couldn't do it or wouldn't do it. I can't yeah. remember which, but yeah, I definitely think that, um, my, I don't know if it was like my specific group or just in my town, but it was, I think it was an exception to the rule. Cause I've heard amazing things about Girl Scouts. I've worked with them in the past and it's in a great organization, but it was just in that instance when I was eight and in second grade, that was not for me. So, oh, sure. um, yeah, and I'm, I'm actually very thankful to the Girl Scouts because I, <laughs> I left them and found what I truly love doing and then has, you know, dovetailed into my career. So, um, it, I think it all was meant to happen. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, had you stayed for the cookies? Right. I don't well, know. I could have. Actually, no. Had you stayed for the cookies, you maybe would be a baker. Correct. Yes. So, <laughs> so I, I'm, we're going to talk about this because I actually think it's funny um, in a good way. Funny, not like in a I'm mocking you funny. But you were telling me before we started recording that your your mom owned a bakery. She did. Yeah. My mom was a baker for a, a very long time, all growing up. Um, and then when I was in, I think, seventh or eighth grade, she opened her own bakery. So, um, of course your first, your first employees are your family or, and, or your children that you don't pay. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I started working for my mom at her bakery. Um, I guess I was like maybe 13 or 14 or something like that. So I did actually, uh, work for, until I went away to college. So I worked there, um, you know, for four, five years, something like that. Uh, was that um, your first so job? So yes, uh, it was my first job. Yep. Yep. My my mom was my first boss and my first reference and my first 
Oh gosh. <laughs> you know, other than being just my mother. Um, yeah, but it was all a good thing because she was a great boss. And while I probably didn't love it so much at the time, it, uh, I, as an, as a grown up, I appreciate everything that she taught me and, um, you know, taught me to do and how she pushed me and didn't let me just slide through things and really made me work for, for what I was getting. So it was, it was a good experience for sure. That's really good. Um, it sounds like a delicious job. It was. Um, the funny thing is you, you think about it, uh, you're like, oh, you're like baking things and there's like sweets and fresh bread and like all of this stuff. And it's very exciting at first until like very, not very long in. And then you, you kind of get over it because you're just around it all of the time. Um, so it, it was exciting for the first little few months or so. And then I was just, I'm like, I never want to look at a croissant again because I I just make them all morning long. So um, it's, I guess it's a good thing for health reasons, not yeah. to. <laughs> I, did not ex- I did not experience that. Uh, I worked at my good friend's parents' ice cream shop mm-hmm. as a scooper. And I, nope, I did not tire of ice cream. <laughs> like well, at all. True. I mean, I don't know if you could ever get tired of ice cream. It was absurd. Yeah. yeah. That would be dangerous. They would look at me and they'd be like, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> what you just made? I'm like, I don't know. It In my head, it sounds really good. So we're going to try it. Right. Um, when right. you were deciding where to go to college, how how did that shake out? What, what were you looking for? What did you think you wanted to do at that point? Well, I I was dead set on being an accountant. Um, Wait, I really what? want... Yep. Yep. I really, Wait, I wanted to, yep. Who, who grows up wanting to <laughs> be an accountant? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I did you know did, an I, accountant? N- no, I don't think I did. Um, I went through many phases of what I thought I wanted to be as a kid. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> so, what were some of the other phases? So there was a point, um, several years probably where I, I really wanted to be a wildlife biologist because I had a I, I will, I, I want to say a minor obsession, but it was an extreme obsession with bald eagles. It's very weird. I don't know. It was like, we, you know, I grew up in Washington state in the Pacific Northwest. We grew up hunting and fishing and camping and all that jazz. So I just fell in love with eagles. Um, so I was like, I definitely want to do that. I want to work with giant birds. Um, until I realized in high school that it involved biology and I hated biology and science, um, science classes. So that mm-hmm. changed. And then I was like, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a teacher, a doctor, like all of the things that those tests you take in high school tell you that you should do. Um, and then at some point in high school, I was like, I just stuck to accounting. I don't know. I didn't even really like math that much. I have no idea. I just, that's so I, I decided <laughs> I, I wanted to be an accountant. I, I also decided I want to go to college in Canada, which was never a bad decision because Canada is wonderful and beautiful. So I I moved up to Vancouver, outside of Vancouver, a town called Langley, to a very small college called Trinity Western University. And I wanted to be an accountant. So um, wait, so <laughs> yeah. where did the I want to move to Canada part come in? Like, I'm going to um, go to Canada for college. <laughs> I, I wanted to be a away from my family, but, and you thought that soft border was going to help. I, yeah, I guess so. But I wanted to be, (laughs) I wanted to be away, but I wanted to be close enough that I could still just drive home. And it was about four hours from 
where I grew up and where my parents lived. And I don't know, I don't remember if I got like a, like a, if I saw like a flyer or where I heard about the school, but I was like, I'm, I'm going to apply to school in Canada. So I actually applied to two colleges in the Vancouver area. Um, and I got into both and I went with the smaller one because it was like, you know, my class size is going to be like 20 instead of 200. Um, so, so that was that. And I enrolled in the school of business and, um, probably a semester in, I said, Nope, accounting is not for me. Um, but it was, I guess it was my first year in. And so then I just went to like, I was like, I'm just going to get a business degree because it's, you know, fine. And then, um, towards the end of my sophomore year, I had gotten involved with the, the, the student business association, like the little group of school, um, students that, you know, runs the little association that does all the events for the school of business. And I had gotten, um, you know, pretty, I'd gotten to know the Dean fairly well. And he was telling me that they were looking into starting a sport management program. And it just like instantly, I was like, that's it that's what this is for. That's, you know, like I'm a believer in like, everything's happening for a reason. I'm like, that's why I'm here. That's why everything's lining up. That's it. So I was like, let me help you finish this curriculum and I want to do it. So starting in my junior year, I was the first student at the school, um, to start taking classes for the new sport management program. And I was the first graduate the next year. So, um, it just kind of took me, along that path. And I like took a lot of marketing classes because I ended up really liking them. And that led to my career in, in essentially sports marketing. So, <laughs> so when you're first in school to be an accountant, yep. how, how many accounting <laughs> classes did you get in before you decided, Oh no, no, no. One, one accounting one one. Yeah. So let me yep. tell you a story about that class. <laughs> That's it. That's all it took. Yeah. And I understand that because we had to take accounting Mm -hmm. um, as a gen ed. And um, it took me three times. Wow. I flat out failed the first time. I was going to fail the second time. So I withdrew. And then the third time I got an A, I don't really understand apparently me and numbers aren't besties wow (laughs) or i went to class actually the third time so yeah um yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah it takes a special person i don't know why i thought that that was for me but i'm glad i realized it wasn't because my life would be just yeah very different i dated one of those (laughs) special people um yeah uh, I mean, I'm glad for them because, you know, great. we need the world needs them. We need them sure. from tax time and all of those other times of the year when you need an accountant. But All so. of the things that those companies do that I don't understand. Sure. Yeah. Somebody needs to do the math. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Check boxes and stuff like that. This is all I remember from that time. Um, yeah. yeah. And okay. So then you were just going to do business and like it, you're the first student. What does that mean? Does that mean that like you are literally the only person in some of these sports classes? Yeah. So it was, it was an interesting time because they actually hadn't, they didn't create any new classes. They basically took classes from the school of business and the communications program and kind of combined them. And then um, I sort of helped them 
come up with and research, you know, like what are other schools with sport management, bachelor's degrees, classes, like what do they look like? And I helped them sort of build out that curriculum for after I had already left. So it was super interesting. And and a couple, I think my senior year, I had a few classes where it was just like one-on-ones with the professors talking about, you know, what it, what will it eventually turn into a class, but because they didn't have them yet, um, we, they just kind of gave like me one-on-one with professor professor and like special access and like passed me that way, just like as a one-on-one instead of, you know, whatever sport management 355 or whatever it ended up being. It was Mm -hmm. like a, it was like a, just a special class, um, because they hadn't yet developed it, but they really wanted, you know, I really was pushing them. Let me be the first, like I want this degree. And so I kind of worked with them to develop the, the, what ended up being the curriculum that they now have, um, which is insane. Yeah. It was an amazing experience. And, and I was really, I I was very, um, (laughs) persistent. I was like, I I don't want to like be here for five years. I don't want to wait anymore. Like, can I, you know, what can we do to like get, you know, make a special exception? Um, cause I had already taken all the business courses. So then I had to go take some, you know, communications and PR and marketing and, um, and a few other classes. And then whatever was sort of outstanding, I would just do like one-on-ones with some of the, the human, there's a school of human kinetics, they, um, which is basically like phys ed. Right. And, uh, so I would just take a bunch of classes and do one-on-ones and then graduated with the, the bachelor. And I think it was like sport and leisure management was the exact title, but yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. It was really cool to, to be a part of that and help develop that and, and be the first. So Do you still ad- help, uh, in like an advisory capacity. I did a little bit, um, in the, in the years after, um, I would, I think I like visited one time and like spoke to a class or something like that, or like, and people would reach out to me. And, you know, I think I was in, like with the Women's Sports Foundation at the time, like a year or two after. And, um, you know, they would kind of feature me and like all of these things and like, let me, you know, if students had questions about their career or the degree or whatever, they would contact me, but it's been a few years now. So not any, not anymore, but <laughs> I did it first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is incredible. Yeah. It was very, very cool. So, and did you, were you still playing sports or was that more like on an intramural side? Yeah, just intramurals. I didn't, I didn't play for like the team. Um, and the interesting thing about an Amer- being an American student in Canada was that each of the, like perf- the, the teams at the school, um, I, I can't, it used to be called like the CIS. It was like the equivalent of the NCAA. <clears throat> um, they, you had, they had like a cap per team of American students. So like, you know, uh, the basketball team could only have like maybe two Americans on the team or something like, so there was like a cap to it. So I thought, I always thought that was really interesting. They couldn't like come down here and recruit and have, you know, like a squad of U S students playing on their teams, which was super interesting. Um, not, not that I, I don't know if I would have been good enough to play or not, but I did do intramurals, which was very fun. Um, all through, I played basketball all through, my four years uh, in college, which was really fun. And that ended up being sort of like my sport of choice over the years. Um, And I still play now. So it it kind of stuck. So that's good. I mean, it's interesting that they, (laughs) that they limit the number of Americans, but yeah, I mean, I can kind of see why, because our, the way that our athletics, programs run like from such a young age and how 
much money is poured into them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'd be doing a disservice to Canadians. Right. Yeah. They didn't, I think just generally Canadians are just, you know, we all know they're, you know, really nice, but they don't want to take away opportunities from their own citizens, which makes, you know, total sense. And like, sure. All, all of the reasons, all of the areas, not just college sports. So, right. yeah. How did you end up um, landing that internship with the women's sports foundation right after school? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's super, it's interesting. Cause so I was doing my senior year, my thesis on the marketing of women's sports and through that semester of researching for that, um, you know, the women's sports foundation, um, for anyone who doesn't know, it was, uh, founded in, I think it was 1975 by Billie Jean King, um, our legendary trend, um, person who just broke all the barriers for women in sports. Um, so they're very well known. They're very well known, particularly for their research. So I used a ton of their research in my, um, you know, finishing and doing that project, uh, my senior year. So, um, as I was doing all the research, I'm like, wow, what an amazing organization. This is incredible. They're doing opening all these doors. They hold giving all these scholarships and grants and, um, oh, wow, they have this internship program for those in college or right out of college. And so I just applied for it. I, I was nearing the, I guess it was my final semester, my senior year. And I was looking for work as everybody does. <laughs> and I was like, wow, they're in New York. It'd be amazing to move across the country and where I know no one. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to apply for this thing. And um, I, I did a, like a phone interview. They didn't have video chats or anything like that in 2005. I think, you know, social media was just getting started. So, um, I did a very, um, not that long phone interview. And, um, I think by the end of the day, they had sent me an email asking me to like answer some more questions. And then by the end of the week, they had sent me like a, a giant snail mail, you know, the old way, uh, packet, like welcome to the women's sports foundation internship program. And, only when I started a few months later, did I realize that how competitive it was um, there. I think there were about maybe 15 of us that started all at the same time. Um, and something like 300 people would apply every, every year. So um, I'm not, I don't know. I feel very lucky. I feel like that opportunity helped pave the way for my entire career. Um, other than quitting Girl Scouts. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, <laughs> you, you, you got to give credit where credit's due, I guess. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I don't know how I got it. I feel very lucky. Um, you know, it was, it, I, I didn't know I'd never had a job interview. Like I worked for my mom and, um, so it was like my first real, real job interview over the phone. And, um, I guess they liked me. So, um, I was hired into the, um, it was called the athlete marketing and promotions department. So, um, I worked with um, two really amazing women whom I both uh, or I, I'm still in touch with both of them. Um, one is, has become a dear friend and one um, I, I actually do some uh, consulting with on the side and I help her with her her own business. So, um, you know, all these years later, I'm still in touch with them and um, they they taught me I like they taught me everything I know. Um, but it was an amazing experience and working with professional athletes and, um, just like everything that they do, their advocacy work, um, for title nine and, 
um, all the grant opportunities they give to young girls and, and young women and um, even professional athletes. It's it's an incredible organization and I've been involved ever since in some capacity. So um, I feel very fortunate to have been one of the people that, that was hired into that internship program when it, when it existed. So what, um, what were you doing on a day-to-day basis in that role? Uh, it was a lot of, um, it would be researching, uh, up and coming athletes. So just, there was a lot of just like checking the news, like who are, who are some up and coming names in all of the different sports out there. Um, you know, uh, I would do one of my favorite things was we would, I would write handwrite congrats, congratulations cards to anybody who like won a national championship in college or won a gold medal on the Olympics or any, anyone who like won something or achieved something great. I would handwrite on women's women's sports foundation note cards, congratulations from the women's sports foundation. We're watching you like these different messages. And that was one of them. That was one of the best things um, that I remember doing in, in that job. Um, there would be, you know, if, if organizations would come to the Women's Sports Foundation and say, um, you know, if there are some large company who wanted some athletes involved with um, for a commercial or an ad or campaign or something like that, I would help kind of research like what of all the athletes um, that were involved with, like who fit these criteria and sort of help them sift through all of these female athletes that mm-hmm. um, they have at their disposal and um and yeah, so it was just a lot of kind of that stuff that helped um, really bring, give give these female athletes, Olympic professional lead athletes, um, opportunities to promote their sport and themselves. And so there, it was it was a lot of things along those lines. Um, in addition to every year, their annual fundraiser um, in October, um, helping uh, coordinate travel and plans and things like that to get to New York City. Um, we'd bring something like, near a hundred uh, female athletes to New York city for their big annual salute event in October. And so I would help with all the planning for that as well. That was another big, big thing we did. So it was quite fun. Um, I really enjoyed it and it, it certainly helped um, me understand the things that I liked to do in my career and, and some of the things that I didn't so much, but for the most part um, it was, it was very enjoyable. So. Yeah. And I think that's so important, right. To, mm-hmm take not just the things that you like, but really figure out what you don't like. Um, I think it's equally as important because then you're not going to just jump into something that you don't know, right? Like Mm -hmm. you have an idea, this is something that I'm not going to enjoy. So maybe I focus over here or apply for this job instead of that one. And in sports, because it's, I mean, people in the past haven't really talked about like, what a particular role does, right? Mm -hmm. And so you'd like hear, you see these titles and you hear these people have jobs doing things, but Mm -hmm. you don't actually ever know what that means until you're in that internship or Mm -hmm. some weirdo like me starts asking people for like (laughs) details, you know? And you happen to listen to a podcast. Um, Yeah, definitely. So that's super important. Um, and then, and then you ended up at my alma mater, like yes, (laughs) within a two years of me being there. Right, so crazy. I know, and so we knew a lot of the same people. Um, Mm -hmm. but how? So how did that come about? Yeah, so 
you know, in that year uh, at the Women's Sports Foundation, I spent, um, I, I sort of developed um, a, a, an interest in, in sort of my, my new, this is what I'm going to do, um, is work in college sports, work in um, sports marketing and the athletic departments at, and, and ultimate, with the ultimate goal of becoming an athletic director. That was like the next, the next goal. So it was wildlife biologist, accountant, um, <laughs> um, athletic director, right? These are all, this is my crazy path. Your evolution. Um, so, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, um, you know, towards the end, so the internship was, you know, one year I finished up. And so before that ended, I was looking for jobs and, um, you know, asking, you know, utilizing, uh, my, my supervisor and, and the different amazing women who've had years and years of experience in the sports field, um, and, kind of talking and doing tons of informational interviews. That's what we always talked about that they would tell us like, you know, what do you want to do? You think you might like this, you know, here's someone I know, go call them and have a conversation, have an informational interview with them. So I did a lot of that and I was like, wow, I could work in college sports. I love sports. And, you know, I didn't go to a large, you know, big university with like a NCAA sports team. And um, so I started applying to, to jobs at different schools. And, um, I was hired at the university of Massachusetts at Amherst. So, um, I took, I was hired as, I think, I don't remember the title, but it was like an assistant position where it's like 10 months. It's, it's a big thing. Um, there's like GAs and then there's like these assistants where it's like a 10 month contract and you're paid like a little tiny bit of money. Um, but you get a, <laughs> but you get a year of experience working in a, you know, a, a division one athletic department. So, um, I, I took it and I did it and I moved from New York up to Amherst. Um, yeah. and then I, <laughs> so, which that's a difference. Yeah, it was, a, it was different, but, um, but it also great. Um, yeah, it was definitely a change of pace, um, something totally different. And, and, um, you know, I started and I, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, you have general, like, I understand kind of, you know, like sports marketing and I understand like these concepts, but like how, like, I do not have a clue how college sports work. Like, this is crazy. I know nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's its own real entity and anybody who works or has worked in college sports can understand that. Cause it, it really is, there's nothing like it. Um, but it was great. I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. Um, it was a lot of work and you work when there's a game and when you're in the, uh, the marketing department of the athletic department, you, there's every team, you don't have just you don't work just on football game days. You work on every day that there's a home event for all 21 sports teams. So it was a lot of work <laughs> as I tried to, to figure it all out. And obviously um, when, you know, when I was there, men's basketball was huge. Um, I think it was the year that the hockey team went to the frozen four in 2006. Um, so it was super exciting to be a part of that. Um, and then after that year, um, I actually went uh, yeah, I was there for, I guess, just about a year, a little over a year. And then I, I decided to move again and, and w- took a job um, down at the University of Rhode Island. We're doing kind of the same thing, but it was a real job, not an assistant 10-year <laughs> or 10-month job. And um, I was hired as the, the only marketing employee in the athletic department at URI. And, and it was a kind of a growing period. They just hired a new athletic director who came from UMass. So um, conveniently, again, it was kind of who you know and, um, you know, asking, reaching out to people that you're connected to to um, 
to kind of help you and, um, you know, give you the opportunity for an interview and really earn the job. So, um, so yeah, so I didn't spend a ton of time up in Massachusetts. I, you know, a little over a year or so. Um, and then I moved down to Rhode Island for about three and a half years. I was there. Um, so when you're in that, those roles, um, like the assistant role and then, you know, your real big kid role, um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, what are the types of things that you're doing? So a lot of it was like game day production. So it would be, um, you know, for the bigger events like football and basketball and and, um, hockey, for instance, it would be um, all of the like music that goes on and, you know, during the game and in between games and um, the halftime entertainment. And then you, um, you know, you bring the people in to do those. You would sort of hire in air quotes, not pay, but, you know, vet (laughs) the national anthem singers. Um, You would write the game scripts. So you'd work with like the PA announcer um, to put together the game scripts, which was, you know, when you're when you're at a college, I'll say like college basketball game, for instance, you're not actually watching anything about the game the whole time. All you're doing is I'm sitting at the table that's beside um, the game. And I'm like, okay, the next time out is at this time, what announcements are, are being made, what music's being played, who, what's happening on the court. Um, you know, is someone missing? Do I have everything we need for this, you know, you know, oversized Jersey sneaker? Do we have the kids we need to run this game during halftime? That sort of thing. So it's a lot of all of that in-game presentation and, mm-hmm. um, a lot of, you know, all of that, um, to working with sponsors. So, um, we would, the, you know, the director of partnerships or whatever they, they were, um, would have go out and get part, uh, sponsors who would give money. And then those those sponsors would then in turn get, um, you know, opportunities in games. So signage or, um, radio reads or PA announcements and all of that kind of stuff. So you're kind of working through all of those types of things to make, um, make the sponsors happy and make the fans happy. And really, you know, if it's a close game, like what, what activations are you doing to get the fans into it so that the, the team knows that they've got their, you know, home court advantage and that kind of stuff. So um, it's a lot of that type of stuff. Uh, so some specific questions related yeah. to UMass. Mm-hmm. Did you ever drive the blimp? No, I did not. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, in the past I've had, um, I've had a guest who is also, she worked in the marketing department at the same time I did. And she, mm-hmm. she drove the blimp and we like spent like 15 minutes talking about that damn thing. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. I was in charge of Sam the Minuteman though. So, oh, <clears throat> You know, we, we hired like the students who would do that and, uh, you know, they would come in and we'd give them, you know, make sure that the Sam costume was cleaned and it didn't smell. And, you know, there were like batteries in the fan that's in the head and that sort of thing. And, um, so I was in charge of, of Sam the Minuteman and, um, you know, it, it, and it's so funny because uh, there were two main guys that did it when I was there and I still keep in touch with both of them as well. Um, so it's, mm-hmm. it's so funny that, that the people you meet and how you kind of hang on to them as, oh, as, yeah. as, as friends in life. Did you, uh, ha- did you ever have to get into Mr. Slice? No, I did not. That's lucky. Um, <laughs> I, I, I basically like begged yeah. everyone else to do it. Cause I did not want to step into that thing. That's, well, that's an intern <laughs> job. That's Correct. a student yeah. job. Yes. So my stu- <laughs> the student workers would generally do that. And um, then did you ever fall on the ice? 
I did. Yes. Oh no. Thankfully it was not in front of, you know, 9,000 fans or however many people sat in that. Um, but it was, you know, they had chuck a puck during, Mm -hmm. you know, in the second and third intermissions of hockey. And so we would always, um, I think one time I had to actually go on the ice and like retrieve the pucks. Um, and I was the whole time I was like, please don't fall, please don't fall. And thankfully I did not fall that time. That's Um, good. But there was another time it was like before the game, we were on the ice. I don't remember what we were doing and I fell. Um, it was not bad. Thank goodness. But, uh, yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. I, I, I feel like I walk better on it than I do normal ground (laughs) because I was on it so often. Yeah. That's really talent. You have a lot of, that's talent right there. That's talent. Well, and I did it in heel. So like I would wear like, you know, what I thought was like business. Yeah. And there's a great picture I have of me from it, like in a skirt and (laughs) in top and like these chunky heels. And yeah. Um, only one time did I fall and it was in front of, um, Oh God, what is the team begins with an M, uh, from Connecticut. Oh, I'm not going to, it was in front of them and they they were all like, are you okay, honey? Are you all right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man. Yeah. So, um, Thor Bjorn took you yeah. from UMass yeah. to join him there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things in sports that we talk about so much. And yet I think it falls on deaf ears sometimes is it's so much about who you know mm-hmm. and, you know, how you've behaved or worked for them or, I mean, Right. that's how you're going to end up getting your next job. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was so important. I mean, Thor, I mean, he made, he, he was so wonderful. He made it pretty clear to me at the beginning. He's like, you're not, you're not a shoe in for this. Like, you know, send, give me your resume, give me your application and I'll submit it and they'll still vet you. You'll still have to come in for an interview, but like, you know, I, I will vouch for you because I, you know, he, he was my boss for almost a year. And, um, so it's definitely not one of those things where it was handed over to me. Um, but it certainly helps when you make a good impression on people and that follows you. So you never want to, I think somebody early on in my career, maybe at the women's sports foundation, they said, don't ever burn a bridge. Cause it'll come back to you. It will come back to you in some opportunity that you don't even think will, you know, that will, that that will come up. But, um, yeah, it definitely, it, it de- definitely matters who, you know, and how you've worked for them or treated them. Um, I, in so many ways that's come up in my career so far. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and Thor was pretty much like putting together an athletic department. Yes. I mean, yeah, they, it, yeah. When I was hired, they hadn't had a marketing person for maybe like six months in a division one athletic department. There was not one person in the marketing department, which is just insane. I think now, and even when I left, there were, um, I think just like one and a half of us, basically it was like me. And then, and then I had been able to have an assist, one of the assistants, the 10 month positions. And I think now they have something like, I don't even know, like six or seven people, like it's huge now. Um, so it's crazy to think that, um, yeah, he, he basically was starting from scratch and, and putting together, you know, the, I think now they work with, I don't know if it's Nelligan or one of the giant sports partners, sports sponsorships agencies. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's like a totally different world now. Um, 
than, than when I was there. And it was just like <laughs> little old me, like running everything. Um, but it's amazing to see that it's, it's, he's done incredible things. And I think, um, you know, he was well received in the beginning and I, I don't think he's really let anyone down um, yeah. what he's done there. So, and it's, uh, it's pretty incredible to see from the time that say you started at URI to now, how different college sports has become mm-hmm. um, and the marketing of it, even yeah. just in the last 10 years. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I left, I left URI in 2010. So eight years ago, mm-hmm. eight plus years ago. And it's, I feel like, and I, I, you know, I left that completely. I left college sports completely after that. So um, I've been somewhat removed from it, but just what I see just being a fan and watching it and keeping in touch, obviously with, with friends that I made during my time working in college sports, it really is a whole different it's a whole different ball game. Just the fact of like social media is huge now. I mean, I remember at UMass, I started Sam the Minuteman's Twitter account and it was like this unheard of thing, like a, a co- like a mascot being on Twitter. Like, what is that? You know? Right. And now it's like, you know, I don't even know how many followers Sam has, but like, just, I remember just sitting in that, in the office and a couple of us were like talking and we're like, we should have, Sam should have a Twitter account like that. You know, it started in 2006, and to think how far it's come and how, if you, if you're in college sports marketing now, like you, probably a massive part of your job is social media. Like right. it's crazy, crazy to think about. Um, it's a whole different landscape. Yeah. For sure. Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think the way that, you know, they're even targeting fans, you know, to come in and, and see the games has evolved as well, which is great because I know that, when I was at UMass, it was not, it was not great sometimes. Okay, ladies, have you ever thought about what you're putting inside your vagina? Well, there's this brand, Sustain, and they're committed to making sure that we know what we're putting in there when we have our periods and when we have sex. Sustain is a one-stop shop for vagina-friendly products, including condoms, lube, tampons, and more. The really want us to know what we're putting in our vaginas, and they want to give us good options. They sent me a whole box of stuff. They make all of their stuff, condoms, lube, period products, organic, vegan, fair trade, sustainably made, and free of parabens, glycerins, synthetic ingredients. They've got 100% organic cotton tampons, pads, and liners, and now period underwear. Sustain is a service that you can subscribe to online, but a subscription isn't required, and you get the products delivered right to your door. Right now, listeners of Leveling the Playing Field can get 20% off your first one-time order and free shipping when you sign up at sustainnatural.com and use the code LTPF at checkout. Seriously, their products are great. They sent their little box to me full of all sorts of goodies right when I needed them. And I love using them. So that's sustainnatural.com promo code LTPF for all natural vagina friendly products that put women's bodies first. Another good reason not to burn a bridge is so that you can then work for people again. Yes. Back (laughs) at the same company, like Women's Sports Foundation. Yeah. Except so, you were kind of doing it on yeah, your own, right? I was, yeah. So um, when I left Rhode Island, the they were sort of like 
going in a different direction or using, you know, um, and uh, sort of like eliminated my position and hired sort of same, but different position. But simultaneously, I was like completely overworking college sports. I was completely fatigued and just like, my sister was living in New York now and she just had my first niece and all I wanted to do was being New York. And I was just not, not wanting, I had realized at that point that my dream of being an athletic director was not reality <laughs> and it was not what I wanted anymore. Yeah. You know, between personal and professional and all these different things, um, I, I was ready to leave that field completely. So it all kind of worked out really well. Um, so yeah, I moved back to New York, um, I like moved in with my sister. So don't burn bridges there either because I didn't have a job. I didn't have really savings of any kind. And I just said to my sister, I'm like, can I live with you? I want to be back in New York. And so I moved in with my sister and her husband and, um, and they, and, and so I was just living with her and I started looking for work and I called up my people at the women's sports foundation. And I said, listen, I'm back in New York. I'm job hunting. Can you use some help? Like I'll just, you know, I don't want to just sit around and be unemployed, you know? Um, so yeah, I called up, um, Stacy and Yolanda. They were my, my two people that I worked for as an intern. And they were like, yes, of course. Like they'd just gone through like some budget stuff and had cut staff and they're like, yes, we'd love your help. So I went back there for probably like two years working essentially for nothing while I looked for a job, um, in a very hard job climate at the time. So it, uh, it was not, it was amazing because I got to be back with the women's sports foundation and, and sort of this like volunteer and they'd throw money at me for certain things throughout the time. And, um, but also being unemployed and, and really feeling the weight of that when, um, this was like 2010, Mm-hmm. to like 12 end of 2011. And it was like so hard job hunting. And, um, I was just like, it was horrible, but also great at the same time. So it was like all of these different things in like a really, um, interesting time in my life career, career and otherwise. Um, but I was like, I'm not going to be that person that's like depressed and can't find a job. And so I just like really threw myself into, looking for work, but also, you know, helping the women's sports foundation again. And really, um, you know, I, would always loved them. I'd always volunteered every year at their event and I stayed in touch and they said, yes, come back. And so I helped. And, um, towards the end, it was Yolanda who said, you know what? I know someone at this organization I think you might like. And she put me in touch with, um, Mario Argote, who um, it, it was the director of marketing at this nonprofit that's relatively young, called up to us sports. And Mario and I would talk every once in a while um, for a few months. And um, he came back at one point and said, I, I'm going to start hiring someone. Send me your resume. And uh, about six months later, uh, I started as the assistant director for marketing at Up to Us Sports. So, um, yeah, it certainly came back full circle of back to the women's sports foundation and back to, you know, my, my, my first boss, essentially, um, knowing people mm-hmm. and, um, giving me that opportunity to meet with them and, and, you know, go through the process of app applying and sending your resume and cover letter and submitting, you know, materials when they ask for it and all that sort of stuff. And, um, really kind of being lucky enough to be that, that right fit that they were looking for. And, um, putting me back in the nonprofit space, which is what I'd wanted when I left college sports. Um, I really, 
um, was such a difference maker for me. Um, knowing that every day I would go to work and, and it meant something for people. Right. And, um, it's just like what my heart was, was needing more than just like showing up and just like working all the time right? <laughs> and well, not really feeling like I was giving back to anyone or, mm-hmm. or really, um, fulfilling myself, um, in any way. So, um, yeah, it, it was all like a really really unique journey. Um, but it definitely led me back to, to where I think I was truly meant to, to be in, in this nonprofit space. You, um, I mean, first of all, college athletics is so freaking hard. Yeah. It's very hard because again, you're not just on one sport, right? So when you work for a professional team and, or, or just a team, right. As opposed to like the entire athletics department, Mm-hmm. you have an off season, which like you're still busy and there's still stuff that has to get done. But there are like these cyclical points in mm-hmm. the year where you're like, and I can breathe now. I can go right. on vacation. I can sleep. Right. That's all I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in college athletics, when you're working, you know, at, in in the main office there, you're part right. of the main administration of it. That doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, there's like a little bit of time in the summer. Between, yeah, in the summer between like the end of like end of like baseball, like spring sports, and before football. So there's maybe like July. <laughs> but even then, you're. But then you're all planning. You're, you're planning, planning for, right? Yeah. So like you're not at a million events, but you're putting everything together for the next year, and right. you know dealing yeah. with all of that. It's not for the faint of heart. You like really have to want it. And, and I think those are the, probably the people that'll be most successful is like you, like you, that is like through and through. That's what you want. That's like what you're passionate about. Yeah. Cause it's, it's so much work. It's really hard. Um, you, you don't have, in my opinion, a very strong work-life balance at all. Um, I hope you, you would have to have very understanding families, <laughs> right? Um, because it, it really is, it's a lot of work and it's long hours. Um, I think my longest day one time was like 18 hours from yeah. when I left my house till when I got home. Cause yeah. there was like back to back to back events or something like that. Um, so it's, it's, you definitely need to, to have that in you to, to, to do that for yeah. a number of years. Yeah. And depending on like where you are um, location wise, it can be really, really hard on your social life because if you're in one of those towns like Amherst, that is Mm -hmm. just a legit college town. Right. And you are just surrounded by 17 to 26 year olds. Right. You know, like, yep. It can be difficult if you want to date or anything along those lines. I mean, yeah, I know somebody who worked in that, um, as an athletic trainer for a really long time at UMass and, and I'm like, you are so much older than everyone. How are you ever going to date people? Right. Um, at some point you've got to stop dating people who are 14 years younger than you. Right. Um, yeah. And like all of your f- yeah. friends work in the athletic department, you know, all right. the athletic, like everybody who is dating is mo- you know, not everybody, but most, a lot of people who are dating people, it's like all within the family, the athletic department right. family. Right. And it's, yeah, it's very like, it's, it's great, but only to a certain point. Like what sure. I feel like once you, like you just said, like once you age out of that, like, wh- who are you dating? Like you live on a, in a town that's like all college students. So, right. right. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting world. Um, 
that is definitely right for a lot of people, yeah. but definitely not right for a lot of other people. So sure, sure. You, uh, I feel like you do it for like that three to five years. And in that time, you like you, you figure out if you're in or you're not. Right. And, and then once you're in, you're in it for like, you know, 30 years. <laughs> yeah. And then you retire from it. Um, right. But when you realize that it's not for you, then you're out and uh, you're on to different, different, different things. Sure. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not, not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. I do think too, like the higher up you get within the athletic department, the and you know, obviously the different roles, right? Like right. not every yeah. role has to be at every single game. Right. Yeah. But like, yeah. Yeah. and the further up you get, the less you have to actually be at um, right. because you're, you know, making all the plans and budgets right. and making donors yeah. happy and all exactly. that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it does. I, I imagine it gets easier and, uh, and less, less straining. Let's just hope <laughs> but, so for our friend Thor. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Still his, in it. His, yeah. <laughs> I mean, his family is so lovely. They um, are. They are. So I'm, I'm, thankfully it's like, you know, between Amherst and Kingston, they're both like small towns. So, yeah. um, they, they, he, I'm sure when he's home, he, he can be home and, um, same for everybody. Like it's, you want to live close to work because you're there a lot. (laughs) Right. There's a, there's a hint, like a piece of advice to anybody who wants to work in college sports, live near campus if you can. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not, you're there, you're there a lot. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, when, um, throughout all of this, you've, you know, you did a, a great job, obviously, of like continuing with Women's Sports Foundation with volunteering and, and supporting mm-hmm. them. But you also kind of like jumped right into volunteering for a few other organizations too. Yeah. Um, the Human Rights Campaign. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. It, um, I, I, I just can never be bored, I guess. Like I always have to have like so much going on. So yeah, when I, when I moved back to New York and and I was job hunting and and volunteering with the Women's Sports Foundation, uh, my friend Lauren had just started working um, locally in New York for the human rights campaign. And um, I said, this is fun. She like had me come to this event. She's like, do you want to help? And I said, sure. Um, And so, yeah, I was involved with them for close about four years um, locally in New York and the HRC greater New York chapter. Um, I was the co-chair of their communications. Um, so I ran social media and, and kind of website updates and, and emails and things like that um, doing just on the ground events for them. And, and it was during a really crucial time. It was um, you know, when we were trying to pass marriage equality nationally. Mm-hmm. So it was super, it's super fulfilling and amazing work. And um, I just, yeah, it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything like a full-time job, but it was, um, you know, doing, doing events throughout the year and raising awareness and doing like phone banking before elections or before different, um, you know, things like that happened. And it was super fulfilling and, and I loved it. Um, and I obviously still support them, but, um, once, you know, some life things started happening and, uh, my girlfriend at the time and I moved in together, I decided that I should focus on <laughs> being a good <laughs> And being a good housemate. Um, and I, you know, was working full time at another organization that I spent three years at that was not a nonprofit, but, um, you know, I, I did that in the middle. Um, I think I skipped over that somehow, but, um, I, when I, at some point before up to us sports, uh, I was working at aviator sports, which is a giant event center in South Brooklyn, um, doing marketing and PR for them. So I was there for a little bit, but I was like, okay, I can't be working full time and, 
doing this and doing that and doing the other. So I had to give something up. Um, but I still, um, fully support human rights campaign and, and kind of help out when I can, but amazing organization. Yeah. One of the things that you couldn't give up mostly because it goes to your, your athleticism yourself <laughs> and, uh, and basketball was, um, which is kind of amazing. You were, you were, a vice commissioner and then the commissioner of the New York city gay basketball league. Yes. Another side project. That's that I, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. When I, again, when I moved back to New York and didn't have a job, I was like, I'll do all of these things. Right. Um, and so I just piled it all on. Um, and so when it came down to like, okay, I need to like give something up. It was sort of between like running this basketball league that I had just grown so much to love and, and, you know, spending time with the human rights campaign. So one of them had to kind of go, but yeah, the, um, I found out about this league and I was like, I just moved back to New York and a lot of my friends had moved away. And I'm like, how do I meet people as like a 20, I don't know, however old I was, six year old. Um, you know, so I found, I was like, I'm going to go play basketball. I found out about this league and, Somehow, as it always seems to happen, people ask me to help out and I say, yes, of course. Um, and next thing I knew, I was on the board of um, this basketball league that had been around. Um, it started in 2008 um, or 2006. The men's division started 2008. The women's division started, um, you know, I started playing in 2010 and uh, for six years, I was on the board, um, I, like you said, starting as the, running like the B division, which is um, sort of the middle division. The, the women's league has three divisions. So pretty much if you played division one or pro like professionally overseas, there's a league for you. If you kind of like played in high school and like, you know shooting the ball and playing and being like a little bit competitive, you can be the, you know, the B division. And then, um, in the early years when I started, um, I think like my second year on the board, we started a rec division for people who wanted to like meet people and kind of learn how to play basketball. And that's, um, what that division was. So yeah, for six years, I, I <laughs> ran this on the side, um, of working full time. And I still, even after I, re I quote unquote retired from being commissioner after the six years, um, I'm still playing every, every fall and every spring. I'm playing on Sunday afternoons at John Jay college in Manhattan. And, um, as long as my, I don't break any bones, I'm just going to keep playing as much as I can. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh yes. No broken bones. That would be yes. good. Um, there are some really great, uh, lessons in that though. I mean, First, let's talk about how hard it can be to make friends as an adult when you move to a yeah. new city. So hard. And that's I mean, normal. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, I think that's where like a friend of mine, actually, ironically enough that I had known through the Women's Sports Foundation, um, when I moved back, um, she was the commissioner of the league at the time. And so I found out about it through her and I was like, I don't know that many people. She's like, come play basketball. Um, and it, even then, like you show up, it's, it's like very intimidating you show up and you have to do kind of like a tryout and um you know I hadn't played in a real way since college like I'd played like pickup or whatever with friends and I was like I don't even like know what like what am I supposed to do so I remember the morning before I'm at like my evaluation day I was like out front of my sisters in like their cul-de-sac like practicing on like the neighbor's kids basketball hoop I'm like I don't even know like am I gonna be cut like what how does this even work um <laughs> So it was very intimidating. So you go into this gym. I only knew, you know, like Rachel, um, who I'd known before. And, you know, they run, it's very it, not intimidating 
in a real, like realistically, but like in your head, you're like, not only do I not know any of these people, but now they're going to like judge me right. playing a sport that I haven't played in many years. Um, but it's all in your head and it's really fun. And it's, you know, it's all just like really amazing women, um, uh, LGBTQ community members, but also just allies. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of, you don't have to be, you know, we're always saying you don't have to be LGBTQ to play in the league. Um, if you like us, then you can. <laughs> There's just, uh, you know, no, no homophobia or transphobia allowed. Otherwise, welcome to the, welcome to the league. Right. Um, so it's, it's an amazing league. I think it's definitely, um, you know, the, the, you know, we're a little biased, but like the best in the country, there are many throughout the country. Um, ours is one of the biggest. And, um, I think one of the oldest at this point now, this, um, 10 years in 2018, we've been around the women's division. So, um, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, it's very intimidating, but I've met some of my very best friends. I've, um, essentially met my wife through it. Um, we met at a bar, but both played in the league. (laughs) So, um, I, I can contribute it to the league because that's how we initially, you know, that's how we first like ended. Yeah. You know, ended up like knowing who each other were. Um, and yeah, some of my very best friends. And, um, even though I've started at 26 and I'm now almost 36, (laughs) um, still, you know, think, look forward to it every Sunday that we have a game and it's one of the best parts of my week. So, um, I just can't give it up. And, um, yeah. And like athletics, when we were little, right. Athletics is how we socialized ourselves. And as adults, we can still do that with these types of leagues. I mean, totally. I hear so many times when somebody moves somewhere, I mean, especially when people move to the Northeast, Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, we're, we're not the most open of people up there. So it's hard for people to break in and, and make new friends. Yeah. Um, and I think as an adult, depending on the situation, it can be a little hard. I mean, you know, we all have our friends already, you know, and sometimes we're not open to new people or, right. um, but yeah. use, using a, a league like that mm-hmm. is great for that. But it's also great for experience if you're volunteering with it. And yes. for you, when you weren't really working full time quite yet. Right. I mean, that had to have been so invaluable. Absolutely. Yeah. It like, you know, for anyone who's been in, unemployed, you know that it can be, you go have like ups and downs. Like you'll go into this, like you'll be very excited. You'll have all these interviews and then you'll go like months at a time where you just like hear crickets. And so it helped, it really helped me like stay busy with something, but something that mattered mm-hmm. and something that I felt that I was a part of and that I was like helping, you know? So it's like, even when I didn't have like that job to go to and keep me busy, it, 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 it helped me just like stay I don't know, like, it sounds like so cheesy, but like stay whole, like it helped me like not fall into these like pits of like, who am I? I'm terrible. You know, just like this, like negative stuff that could fall on you when you just are continuously rejected for jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it can be like a really negative time, but you know, I, I just kept trying to find ways to, to stay involved. And then thankfully I always found these opportunities. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, 
it was amazing to get involved in, especially during that time. I think it would have been valuable no matter what time of my life um, right. that I would have gotten involved. But I think for me, that was, it was very, it was, I mean, it was like perfect timing that I was able to find it all when I did. Um, well, and but, it was a community for you, right? Like right. we think of community in like the big C sense of like, our town and mm-hmm. all of that, but we have these little communities that we're part of at different parts of our days. We've got our home, you know, mm-hmm. our family community, we've got our work community, you know? Right. And, and so when you are missing one of those, right. um, it's such a great way. And, you know, I, I know so many people who have been looking for jobs forever, whether they're employed or unemployed. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. it just takes forever. Right. Yeah, it really does. And to be able to have something that's meaningful that you can pour your time and energy into, you know, no matter what's happening in the job hunt, Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's really, it's a very good thing to have for sure. And then up to us sports, like, what is it? (laughs) Um, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's, uh, it was founded in 2010. So it's not all that old. It is, it's a little complicated. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this in, in like the, as simple as I can, but also kind of explaining, cause it's a very complex model. Um, but essentially it's the nationwide leader in, um, training and supporting sports coaches for youth to serve as mentors and role models. Um, particularly for kids living in some of our nation's most underserved communities. So I know that's a lot, <laughs> but basically we believe that a, a, a trained coach can be an invaluable role model to kids who might not have other role models in their life, whether it's they, they live in a one family household or they live with a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, um, or, you know, any type of, um, you know, home life that they might have, or even if they're homeless, um, we work to bring young adults, um, into their lives who they can depend on is essentially what we do. Um, and it's extremely powerful. Um, in eight years, we've reached over f- almost 500,000 kids by giving them a coach who cares about them. Oh so gosh. yeah, it's, uh, it's really very powerful and, and really necessary. Um, you know, we've been working, especially over the last year or so, um, finding organizations who, who believe that w- the work we're doing is, is a social policy tool. Um, it's, it's saving kids lives, um, in a number of ways, whether it's through health, it's helping them stay active and, you know, keep, keep from being obese or, you know, it, that angle. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also keeping kids off the streets and out of gangs, because when you have a coach and a team that you can rely on and they push you in in a, in a meaningful way, you're not going to go on the streets and join a gang, or you're not going to go, you know, get it get into trouble essentially. Um, so there's a number of, of research, uh, a bunch of research that we have that proves just that thing that we're, we're really, um, we're a social policy tool. We're helping change the lives of, of these kids and thus, you know, the lives of, of really the con- people in the country. Um, it's, it's, it's really powerful work and, and I'm so lucky to be a part of it. So for someone listening who is hearing this description, Mm-hmm. What is the, you know, why, why can't they get this at school? I mean, there, there's, you know, athletics at schools. So why is this necessary? Sure. So, well, unfortunately, over the past 
uh, I don't even know, 10, 15, 20 years, schools are actually cutting sports programs. So a lot of schools don't have PE any longer. Um, they're cutting sports and they're cutting arts when it comes to, you know, budget that these these arts and, and sports and dance and things like that are seen as frivolous costs. So many schools across the country no longer have physical education. Um, so they, so we work with, so we ourselves, we don't have actual sports programs ourselves. We work with um, existing youth serving organizations across the country. So whether it's boys and girls clubs or YMCA's or, you know, a local, just any type of, um, local youth nonprofit that already exists that serves kids, whether it's a before school or after school program, we partner with these programs um, and we essentially help them hire. Um, I don't really want to say hire because we, um, most of our funding comes from AmeriCorps, which is the national service program Mm -hmm. um, of the national government. So um, we're essentially um, uh, placing Placing is, is a word we use, yes. <laughs> Placing these young adults into these already existing programs um, to, to serve as coaches. So, um, you know, a kid who is in Miami who goes to an elementary school that no longer has physical education but has um, a program that we work with, America Scores, for instance, who, in their town who comes in after school and runs soccer and poetry programs for this school from you know, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. or 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. So we work with these organizations that already exist. Um, we give them these coaches that are half covered by AmeriCorps as a national service stipend. So they devote a year of service to this to this program and to these kids. Um, <clears throat> but the sort of what we call our special sauce and why our coaches are different from um, other organizations who, you know, have volunteer coaches that come in um, and work with kids is, is our training that we provide them. Um, a, a big part of what we, um, of our program is once these coaches are sort of placed in the organizations and they're onboarded, um, we send them away to a four day, three night um, in-house training that we provide them. Uh, you know, we bring them to different cities across the country, hundreds of them at the same time. Um, and we put them through a very in-depth, they get 27 hours of training in that, in that, in wow. what we call our coach training Institute. They get 27 hours in that four day, three night period, um, that covers all sorts of topics from brain science, um, which is uh, a big part of what we teach and, and our trauma sensitive, what we call our trauma sensitive training mm-hmm. is, we're teaching these coaches how these kids who've gone through all sorts of trauma growing up, whether it's in their home or in their community, um, how to not, you know, what, what is happening when that, when they all of a sudden someone says something and they're triggered and all of a sudden they're flying off the handle. What do you do? You don't kick them off the team. You actually, you know, what are the strategies to work with these types of kids? You, it's not to kick them off the team because we don't want them to get on the streets and join a gang instead of staying on this team where it's a safe place. Um, so it's important. So this training is is what really makes the difference in our coaches. Um, and how are we how are we training these coaches to work with these kids with the unique set of experiences? They're not, you know, they're not the kids who are growing up in you know, a household with two parents in middle-class America. These aren't the kids that we're aiming for. We're aiming for the kids who have no role models and they, they, they really need these, these, these role models that these parental figures, um, in their lives that they can turn to 
because you don't know, even if they do have parents, they don't always turn to a parent. I remember, like even me growing up when I had an issue, I didn't tell my mom. I wanted to go talk to my coach because I, they're like, they're like my, you know, my sibling, my, my person, I trusted them. Right. So these, these are the people you trust. So well, let's, and, and the parents, let's teach these coaches right. how to, how to really build a trust-based relationship with these kids so that we can save them. Yeah. And the parents might be in crisis too, right? right. So, and exactly. a, a lot of times they are. And so going to them, I'm not saying it wouldn't be helpful, but they could be part of the cause of the trauma. Correct. And yep. yeah, so um, I think it, it's such a great program. And I love that you guys have been, um, you know, really pushing it forward and, and getting more kids involved. Um, because it is hard really when they're, especially when it's really little kids, right. To Mm -hmm. their, their brains and their, their bodies are kind of like wired for fight mode. Right. Um, and I don't mean it in like literal fight, but like, right. They're, they're in a constant state of crisis. Right. Um, and yeah. And like for them to kind of learn, like, you know, I'm not, I don't want to necessarily compare myself to them because I feel like I, I had a, a bit of privilege growing up, but there's a good part of me that like to this day doesn't know how to relax. Right. Um, because I've been in constant, you know, survival mode. That's what I'm trying to get at. Right. Since like, I was little. Yeah. You know? And that's a lot of what we, um, what our, our, our trainers, what we call on staff and, and our, that we have, they come in, they, they work with these coaches. Like this is, this is science. This is brain science. Like mm-hmm. these kids' brains are off, like are functioning differently. They've been rewired due to this trauma. So how do we, not that not we're not fixing their brains, but we're learning how we're teaching our these coaches how to react mm-hmm. and how to protect them and how to keep them feeling safe in in you know an environment where even if the sporting environment itself is safe, they might not feel safe. So like how do we take them and how do we make them trust us and how mm-hmm. do we make them you know feel like this is a place where um, not only do they trust the coach, but they trust their teammates and they trust, you know, the, the sport that they're involved in. So it's really powerful stuff. The training is, is one of a kind. It's unique. No one else in the country is doing it. This trauma-based training that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, So very powerful, very, very good stuff for sure. I imagine that your coaches are also along with building that trust and, and helping the, the kids feel safe they're teaching them tools for exactly how to to get through some of this yes yeah so that's the other part is how we're teaching uh these coaches how do you work with the kids and then not only are you you're not just teaching them basketball you're teaching them how to take the skills they're learning from basketball and translate that into life so like um you know when you all of the resilience, grit, all of these different qualities that come from playing sports. Of course, you're playing, you're, you're doing it through the sport, but how do you translate that into doing your homework on time and turning it in? How do you translate that to, you know, saying no when your friends want you to go do something, you know, right. that's, 
that's not a healthy activity. So all of these things is translating all of these sports skills that um, really build you build people into being strong, successful adults. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you translate those those skills and, and take that so that they can, um, you know, build a, a, a positive path towards their future? That's awesome. Um, yeah. Have you have there been any kids that have gone through the program and then come back to help? Yeah, absolutely. We actually have, um, it's funny cause I'm, um, I'm working on a story right now. One of our, um, organizations out in Chicago, um, it's called the Chicago training center. They have, um, essentially reserved all of their coach slots every year for graduates of the program. So That's these awesome. kids are, they have up to us coaches. Mm-hmm. They've worked with them, you know, for however many years they graduate high school or whatever they, I think it's, you know, once they graduate high school then they can move on and they come back as coaches, as up to us coaches at that site. They've been through it. It's, it's, it's an, it's really amazing. And, and I'm so excited to be doing this feature on them. They're an incredible organization. Their CEO is phenomenal. Um, but they're, that's, that's like, they've set it up this way that at all of their up to us coach positions every year are for graduates of the program that have had code had the up to us coach. So it's like this really cool, um, full circle. Uh, so they, they go graduate from the program then they come back to the same program and they're helping, you know, the next generation, That's are, awesome. you know, there'll be a few of them that end up being coaches as well. So it's really amazing. Um, we don't have any hard and fast numbers right now, but we're trying to figure out how we can start, you know, um, tracking that so that we can, we can actually show that these, you know, whether it's the same program or another program, there's a lot of kids that want to go back to where they, um, you know, the programs that they grew up in and that really impacted them. It's really, it's very cool. That is so cool. And, you know, I, you're gonna, well, tell us how we would be able to see that feature. So, um, once it's all finished, probably within the next week or so, it'll be up on, um, our web, up on our blog, on our website, it's www.upthenumber2ussports.org. It will be there and then across all of our social media channels as well. And is it just Um, up to us sports on social? Yep. Just up the number two us sports. Yep. Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the social. Yep. Um, you, really have a hard time sitting still. And so now (laughs) you're a new board member for a really cool organization. I mean, not that the others aren't really cool. I mean, they've all been cool, but um, this is one that has, has grabbed my attention in like the last year. um, And that's athlete ally. Yes. I, um, I've known about them for a few years and um, a friend of mine who I was, um, on the board of a New York City basketball league with, um, who herself retired a couple of years ago, recently came to me and said, I started um, volunteering for Athlete Ally and they've asked me to build out their associate board and I want you to be on it with me. So um, I said yes, as I always do, mm-hmm. but only to things that I love and feel passionately about. So yes, very recently joined the associate board of Athlete Ally, which like you said, like all of the rest are really incredible organizations doing great work. And do you want to tell everyone what it is? Yeah. So, um, athlete ally, also a young organization, I think, um, 
probably about eight years old as well. Um, they um, essentially want to end homophobia and transphobia, transphobia in sport and activate the entire athletic community um, to really champion LGBTQ plus equality. So um, it's actually the founder is straight um, Hudson Taylor. He's amazing. He was a division one wrestler at the university of Maryland. And um, he and his now wife um, sort of got this, um, this idea of like, it's so important not only to stand up for your teammates um, who are going through all sorts of different things, but particularly those within the LGBTQ community. So um, those who are in sports, you should, it's not even a question, you should be an ally to your LGBTQ teammates and um, other athletes who are out there. So um, it's very cool. Um, amazing work. We were, I went to my, really my first event with them. They had their annual <clears throat> action awards um, in October and they honored Billie Jean King and Jamel Hill, um, yeah, so which was, cool. yeah, very cool. And um, yeah, they just, they're you, true champions of what it means uh, to be an ally, whether you're part of the LGBTQ community or not. Um, just making sports safe, no matter how you identify what your gender or identity is, um, it should be safe. And as of the day that we're recording this, um, I think it's like the day after there was some um, quote unquote news about Dwight Howard. Um, yes, I saw that in the headlines. Yeah. Today. And so like, this is still a fucking problem. It's a it's yes, it's a it's a very big problem. Yes. And um, no matter like. And it's something that's so easy for those of us who identify as, you know, straight, cis, you know, mm -hmm. to like think it's not an issue because it doesn't affect us on a day-to-day -day basis. And we're, we're nice to the people that we know that are gay or trans or, you know, right. but then you remember very few professional athletes are out. Very few. And even, I mean, the smallest amount are men. Right. There are just so few professional athletes that are men who are out. Very few. Um, you know, there's more women, but even then it's just, there's, you know, it's for whatever their reasoning might be. Um, it's just not commonplace, whether you're out in your private life and you're, you know, you're, you're married or have families or whatever it might be. Um, it's not, it's not commonplace. It's not, um, just a part of everyday life. You know, it's, it's, um, and it's really disheartening when I, f I feel like it's like this cycle of like, there'll be like a couple like really amazing things happen where you're like, yes, you know, it's happening. We're making progress. And then there's things like this where you're like, wow, wow, Dwight, like, why, like, why does it need to keep happening in, in almost 2019? Mm -hmm. Why does it have to be like this? And why um, is it a scandal? Right. Exactly. You know, I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's frustrating. And I can only imagine for those within that community how frustrating it must be. And, yeah. um, and I do believe, you know, that with regards to the LGBTQ community, 
there's really only one um, trans person who's come out, I think, in like the last like 10 years besides Caitlin. Yeah, it's, I mean, even... And it's Chris you know, Mosier is who I'm thinking right. of. Right, yeah, Chris Mosier. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting when you said, like, it's, I feel like we, there's been a ton of progress relatively um, in as far as, like, gay, lesbian being, especially on the, on the lesbian side, like, female um, or, you know... I, I, I don't want to say women, but like right. for those of us those who, who identify as female, those who identify as female um, is it's easier even than males, but even more so than that is transgender our transgender um, friends and family. Um, it's, it's just like this whole other, like we need to, it's like a whole nother movement, you know, it's separate. Right. Like they're lumped into this acronym, right? Like LGBTQ. But like that T is not on the same wavelength, um, unfortunately, you know, like and even as a, a, a woman who identifies as lesbian, like I I can't even understand right. or myself in the shoes of, of my trans friends. Like I just um, it's they have so much more progress to make than even we do, which I mean, you think about like there was I felt you know, a couple of years ago, we had made immense progress and now it's just sort of like backpedaling, um, and slowly. And, and unfortunately, um, for trans men and women, it's, it's even, they've got even more of an uphill battle. Right. And, and to, I want to change the wording a little bit because it's not them that needs to make the progress. It's right. the rest of the fucking world. Right. Yes. And, and it's on, everyone else, you know, to like get with it. Um, because I feel like sometimes we, we put that, you know, it's, we do it with race as well. Right. We put it on, you know, um, black women to educate all of us and, and all of that. So, um, it's, you know, I've, I've been trying to learn more about, um, the trans community and, and sport and how we can help. And so I think, um, organizations like athlete ally are super helpful. Yes. And, um, yeah, they have a ton of resources and a ton of, uh, you know, they work with uh, so many different other organizations, um, Mm -hmm. for, you know, even like they just released, you know, some curriculum for, for people, coaches to use of uh, coaches of youth college beyond, um, you know, this is how you, this is language you can use. This is how you teach about, you know, so it's, it's amazing there. They've got a ton of resources on their website as well. Um, athleteally.org. Um, but Very they're, cool. they're, they're certainly also a force to be re- reckoned with. Um, Hudson is very passionate and, um, his, he and his team are, are leading quite a movement. So also feel very lucky to, to have been kind of like <laughs> aligned here and, and, you know, learning more and more about the organization and, and all of the work that they're doing and, and plan to be doing down the road. So, um, it's, it's very exciting. Oh, it's so cool too. Like you're yeah. just kind of like, you've found your, your space. Right. And like, I don't know. I, 
I always think it's great when like you, when things keep happening that keep reminding you like, oh no, I'm doing, I'm doing the right thing. Like, yeah. You Sometimes know. I'm just like, how, how have all these amazing opportunities like just come to me? You know, like it's, I feel very, very lucky. Um, but they haven't and... just come to you. I mean, <laughs> it feels that way. <laughs> let's be clear here. You've worked really hard. And so you've put yourself in that position and you just happen to be very aware of what you're passionate about and like yeah. what is going to make your heart happy when it comes right. to the work that you do. Right. So yeah. by doing that, you set yourself up to receive. I sound very woo woo right now, but I don't care <laughs> to like receive those good things. And it, yeah. but it's easy for you to say like, Oh, I'm so lucky. I've, I've just been really lucky. And it's like, no, bitch, you worked hard. <laughs> and like people liked you because you worked hard and you were nice to them. And I don't know, probably funny. And you showed them pictures of your dog, who, by <laughs> the do, way, is I ridiculous. do like to show pictures of, of our dog. Yes. <laughs> you it's the most re- the Harry Potter picture is amazing. Right. Yeah. So um, Brutus has his own in- Instagram channel. I don't know if you're aware of this. I don't know if I'm um, aware of this at all. I don't, I don't know that Shalay gave me that info. Yeah. He has his own Instagram, God, um, which is basically her being him. Um, but yeah. it's at Brutus Cooper, the pug on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has more friends and followers than I do. And probably Shalay and I together. Um, but he is the best little creature we could have ever um, purchased. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, you know, back to you setting yourself up, like we would not have met had it, it's similar. Like I put myself in a position and basically stalked your wife's coworker <laughs> at a conference recently. Right. And your wife happened to be with him, thankfully. And yes. <laughs> Like within three seconds, she's like, we got stuff to do, but let's go for drinks later. Yeah. And then I sat there talking with them all night. And then, you know, she connected the two of us because she's like, your podcast sounds fucking amazing. Yeah. Uh, You should know my wife. (laughs) Yes. I know. I think she like texted me and was like, "Uh, I met someone that you need to meet. And I was like, what? (laughs) At at a at a work event? Like, I don't under, like our, there's not much, there might be like 0.01% ever where our work or where our jobs would overlap. And right. I think you are probably it for 2018. So. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, and, and let's blame Twitterverse for it because had I not been following Ellie on Twitter since the beginning of time. Right. And that's how he and I kind of knew each other. So you know, we, well, let's let's make sure we're not giving Ellie all the credit here because he's going to let that go to his head. <laughs> That's true, Ellie. I'm pretty sure you stopped following me at one point. So Uh-oh. there you go. I guess we'll find out if we either one of us gets a message from him about this conversation. <laughs> it depends on how many cups he's in. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, that that inside joke is going to go past everyone but four people's heads, and it's going to be great. Um, Okay, so what do you, besides hanging out with Brutus, (laughs) what do you do by way of self-care? 
Um, I, uh, I do, I try to, I, I was, I go through spurts of being very good at, and then very bad at, um, doing yoga. Um, I found that in my aging years, um, it's more, my eyes at you. <laughs> it's more enjoyable, um, than like running on an elliptical at the gym. So I try to do that. I try to, you know, also work out when I can basketball is obviously, um, I do that once or twice a week, um, which helps keep my sanity. I think, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what I, I, you know, I, my wife spoils me with massages every once in a while, which I think everyone should always have because they're life-changing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I oh, mean, I, I use one right now, right. They're just, I mean, I've also recently discovered, um, which I feel like it's like the best parts of massage, um, reflexology oh, is okay. like yeah. your favorite where it's just like, it's a massage, but it's like only on your feet and hands and legs mm-hmm. and arms. And it's wonderful. So I also recommend that. Nice. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I try to not work when I'm not at work. And thankfully I have a job for the most part that affords me that. So um, I, I very wholeheartedly believe in a work-life balance and work is at work and life is at home. So I, I think that probably helps me as well. Um, but yeah, mostly I would say mostly it's just Brutus though. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, people, when you see the pictures, you're going to totally understand what I'm talking about. It's stupid. Uh, how cute that dog is. He's very cute. Yes. Um, we're big fans of animals over here and, yes. uh, Zoe, shockingly, hasn't made an appearance while recording today. She will oftentimes, like, walk and, like, rub up against the microphone. (laughs) Yeah. And then, like, make her little chirping noises. And I'm like, oh, my God, Kat, seriously. But it's cute. She just wants to be a part of it, too. (laughs) I know. And so far, the people who have joined our Facebook group, have all said that she needs more airtime. So for guess, sure, guess my crazy you, cat ladiness is going to go into overdrive in 2019. You got to work her in. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow. <laughs> um, well, I want to thank you so much for coming on and how can people, I don't know, follow you, get in contact with you, you know? Sure. Okay. I I'm on all of the social media as well. Um, I'm, I think my Twitter, I'm checking it right now because I never remember some, some things I've changed over to my married name and some things I have not. <laughs> um, that is a thing. Um, yeah, it happens. So <laughs> um, on Twitter, I'm Jacqueline S. Miller. And that's um, J-A-C-L-Y-N, correct? Yes, J-A-C-L-Y-N. Um, and on Instagram, I am J Munzy. I'm U-N-S-Y, which Munz is my maiden name. And I obviously have not changed that over. Um, And then also just Jacqueline Miller on Facebook. So I'm all of those things. Um, I can also be found on any of the amazing organizations, the plethora of them that we've talked about. (laughs) (laughs) And on LinkedIn, right? Um, Yes, on LinkedIn as well. Jacqueline Miller. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Um, talking about all of my affiliations and career and life that I've lived so far. It's been great. I think everyone's (laughs) going to love it. 
thank you so much to Jacqueline for coming on and for being a guest on the pod. Um, I had a great time speaking with her and uh, look forward to seeing all that she does going forward. Uh, Make sure you are subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. The rating and reviewing really helps new people to see the pod. Uh, It shows up in their, you know, their searches and all of that a little bit more. And a really great way of doing this is grab your friend or your family member's phone, just subscribe to the pod on it for them. Then they'll see it and they'll listen to it and then they'll write it. So everybody do that. It'd be great. I actually did it with somebody recently who was like, oh, you have a podcast? How do I do that? And I found it and just subscribe for her. And make sure you're following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at LTPFpod. You can email ltpfpod at gmail.com. And as always, you can check out the guys who do all of the audio magic for me, seriously, um, at radioinfluence.com. And ltpfpod.com is going on a bit of a, a hiatus. She's being detoxed and, you know, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this analogy, but she's getting a makeover. Um, that uh, hopefully by the end of January will be all done. So just, you know, I'll let you know when it's ready. And thank you all for being here. We'll see you next week. Bye. This is a Jim Fannin Show Quick Fix on Radio Influence. There are three trigger points that combine to raise stress levels this time of year. Number one, physical demands. You may be working longer hours uh, to close out accounts, to do inventory, uh, to finish and as you're striving to reach or exceed whatever your annual goals are. And, and that's on a personal level, that's on a corporate level. Your kids are on a break from school. That's the good news. Uh, that's also stressful news. <laughs> You're going to find that out real quickly, <laughs> Seth, when uh, your kid learns to walk and talk. Uh, there's other demands. Um, also, there's organizing travel. That can be traumatic. Uh, yes, Amtrak's still safe, so go back on Amtrak. But uh, it's still stressful. Uh, travel with kids, with presents, uh, and with millions of other people. Uh, rushing to holiday parties, commitments that I got to go. It's my boss is throwing a party. There's no option. Honey, we're going. Uh, I don't want to go. Uh, we got to go. And, um, and then you're throwing your own holiday gatherings and you want to pull it off. Uh, A hundred percent. Well, that takes time. That takes planning. And then, obviously, shopping. The Jim Fannin Show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.